Well, I invite you to open your copies of God's holy and inspired word back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we continue to move uh, through this second paragraph of the chapter in verses 11 through 22. This morning, we we come into, um, well, the whole thing has just been thick. Um, And whether you are aware of it or not, I have passed over a ton of stuff here. Uh, So if you start to complain about how slow we're going, just remember, I'm skipping stuff. No, I'm just messing. It is thick. And the the section we move into here in verses 17 through 22 is a very thick section. I'm not going to attempt to deal with all of that this morning. Uh, Lord willing, we will take up uh, this again uh, next Sunday. But we want to, we're going to zero in here um, on, on a, a very important um, part of this text that is important, not, not just in general. It's important not just with regards to uh, thinking about the first and second coming of Christ. It is important for the everyday ministry of the local church, and it is important for what we are about to do this after, uh, after this service, when we meet together for the purpose of officer elections. So let's give our reverent attention uh, to the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, I'm going to read um, verses 17 through 22. And Jesus, having come, preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the, the, the peace and the hope and your restored presence among us that has been accomplished by Christ is so far beyond our description and understanding, and yet they really and truly belong to those who are in Christ. So Lord, as you have made us one with one another, and as you have made us one with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, May you give us ears to listen and eyes to see that we would rejoice as your family who have been adopted into your household and who have been given the amazing privilege of not only receiving your revelation, serving as ambassadors of Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
What we have focused on here in, in, chap, in this second paragraph of chapter 2 going back to verse 11 is we have looked uh, at this text in, in terms of the, the, um, the amazing amount of detail that is given to us here that is helping us understand the corporate implications of the work of Jesus Christ. That the work of Christ is not something we only receive and benefit from as individuals, but there is a corporate reality. As the text here uses that image of body, there is a body in which Jesus, as we saw from chapter 1, Jesus is the head. That To be someone who is in Christ means that you are part of his body, functioning under his headship and serving along with him in his ongoing mission in this world. Here within this portion, there is an emphasis, as we have looked at, this emphasis upon the concreteness of what God is doing in Christ as Jesus took on flesh, we are told here. As he shed his blood, we are told here. As two different um, warring factions are being united together into one concrete people. A people, by the way, that when we get into chapter 3, we will see it is a people that is visual. It is a people that doesn't just exist theologically or ethereally or spiritually. It is a people that is concrete, a people that can be seen, a people that can be heard. I mean, technically, we can be tasted as well, but we'll leave that out. But the point here is that what God is doing as he is fulfilling these promises that he made long ago, that he brought to this amazing fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ, is that those who were far off, those who were without hope, those who were without God, those who were at war, those who were in rebellion, that all of that has been changed in Christ. The advent of God's presence restoring, hope-giving, peace-making Son is the culmination of a long and patient process of revelation. God revealing Himself. God revealing His purposes. God revealing what He wants. And how he wants it. And with the first coming of Jesus Christ, with his taking on flesh, with his living under the law, with, with his taking our sin upon himself on the cross, in the shedding of his blood, all of these concrete revelations of God that he was speaking and revealing throughout the history of redemption, came to a culmination in Jesus Christ. The entirety of, of redemptive history, we are told in Hebrews chapter 1, 
is God speaking to his people through the prophet in many different ways on many different occasions. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It is an important facet of what God is doing in connection to speech. How did the world come into existence? God said, let there be. And there was. He spoke. How did Israel come to learn what it meant to be sinners against the the one true God? Because he spoke and he explained it to them. How did they come to know what the proper way to respond to their sin was and, and the redemption that could be found in God's promises? He had to speak them. And how did they come to enjoy that relationship with him instead of constantly living in fear of him because of that sacrificial system that God spoke into existence in which his love and his compassion, his mercy and his justice were all coming together in order to provide his people hope. To know that God can be satisfied with his people, but not because of his people, because of the gift that he gives to his people. The whole of history is God speaking and then his words being carried out in concrete, tangible ways. But not only does he do it by making his spoken word concrete, what we see throughout history, what we see in the person and work of Jesus Christ and what Paul shows us here in Ephesians 2 is that God loves to do this through his people. The ministry of the prophets long ago as they spoke was a privilege to be chosen by God, not because you were worthy of because he chose to make you his mouthpiece. That when God spoke, it wasn't always, and very typically it never was, him coming and speaking out loud, right? That happened at Mount Sinai when God redeemed his people from bondage and slavery in Egypt, and what was their response? They thought it was a bunch of thunder and everything, and they got scared out of their shoes, or their sandals. And they were like, tell him not to do that. Have him speak to you and you speak to us. God has been speaking. God has been enacting. And he speaks and he enacts through human mouths. Here in Ephesians 2, Paul says something that is extremely interesting, at least to Bible nerds like me. 
Notice here that he says to these Ephesians, people who were converted under the ministry of Paul, there in the city of Ephesus, notice what he says to them in verse 17. That God came, he, he, that Jesus came. That he t- talking about the advent of Christ. He came, and, and, and technically here it's a participle. It's not a verb. It's having come. Jesus having come, he did what? He preached peace. Paul has just laid out the peace of Christ that, that Christ has become for God's people. Jesus is our peace. But he also says Jesus, having come, having become our peace, preached peace, notice here, to you. To you who were far off. This is a a phrase that is used throughout the scripture of talking about Gentiles. Talking about those who were not part of the covenant household of God. That That Jesus came and preached peace. Now, when you read through the Gospels later today, try to find Jesus going around preaching to Gentiles. It doesn't happen very frequently. It does happen here and there. And we know that there were Gentiles that were present among the crowds when Jesus was preaching. But from reading the Gospels, you know that he was focusing in his early ministry, his earthly ministry on the nation of Israel. How is it that Paul can say that Jesus came and preached peace to the Ephesians? Do we have any account of Jesus visiting the city of Ephesus in the Gospels? No. But if you understand this doctrine of union with Christ that we have been talking about from the beginning of this letter and from the beginning of my time here, if you understand that that doctrine of union with Christ, when, when you have the Apostle Paul was encountered by the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and as he was called out of his sin, and as he was employed as an apostle, as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, When Paul is speaking as one who has been called by Christ to speak, Christ is speaking through Paul. When Paul was in Ephesus, when he was meeting with the Jews and with the Gentiles, as he was preaching the scripture, Christ is speaking through God doesn't just work through the concrete things like flesh, blood, mouths speaking. He loves to reveal himself through people so that when those who are called to speak on behalf of God when they speak. They are not only repeating things that God has revealed in the past. God 
is reinforcing those past things that he said now as he continues through apostles and prophets to his Now in chapter 4, which we are not there yet, what Paul does is he adds to his list of those who speak. He adds pastor shepherds. He adds elders. He he adds um, evangelists. That there are in the continuation of the new covenant ministry of the risen Christ, there are many who are called to speak on behalf of Christ to his people, called to speak on behalf of Christ to the watching world. So that others who are far off can be drawn to the presence of God, given the hope of Christ, and be at peace with God. God is accomplishing these purposes through speaking. And it is a speaking that has not only happened in, a pa- in the past, it is a speaking that continues to take place today. Those who are called speak. What are we doing today when we meet in order to elect officers this church? We are engaging in the process that God has given us in the scripture by which the congregation identifies those who have been gifted by God and those through whom God is speaking. For we are electing those who will be, if they are not already, they will be ordained to office. And as I explained to the men who went through the training, What it means to be ordained is to have an official call by God to speak on his behalf. Beloved, the speaking ministry of Jesus Christ did not end when the disciples watched him go. The speaking ministry of Christ continues even to this day when the men who are duly called, nominated, trained and called, they take up that privilege. And when they take up scariness of representing Christ to his people. Speaking ministry of Christ continues today, beloved. It takes place as godly men called to do so, speak his truth on his behalf. God, in the advent of Jesus Christ, took his speech and fulfilled that speaking in a God-man, Jesus Christ, whom we are told is the Beloved, the word, as he has become our high priest in his resurrection from the dead, Jesus is still leading his church as the head of the body. And he is still speaking to his church through the living word that is found in your scripture. This does not mean 
that anything an elder says is coming from God, right? You read Calvin or you read Luther on this passage, they can't help but go from this into a discussion about how evil the, the papal authority is. That was their problem in their day, and I get it. It doesn't mean that if you're called to be an elder, it doesn't mean if you're called to be a deacon, that anything you say or anything that you do is being done on behalf of God. But it does mean that when it is being spoken and when it is being done in accordance to what God has revealed in his scripture, then make no doubt that Jesus Beloved, this is an amazing privilege. Lord willing, next week when we, we look at this text again, we're going to look at it in, in the bigger picture of what it means for the whole church to be participants in this ongoing mission of Jesus Christ. But for today, here once again, Christ preached, and he preached through the leadership of the church. Notice here also the, the, the order in which Paul gives this. That in verse 20, that the church is built on the foundation, not of the prophets and apostles, which is something that you would expect, but upon the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Some have said that what, this, what Paul is doing is he is basing the ministry of the leadership of the church upon the whole counsel of God from the Old Testament and the New Testament together. And I would say that is clearly, that is clearly in view here as that is something that God tells us from the very beginning of Scripture, that he's going to speak and everything that he says uh, is, to, is to be received and is to be believed and is to be put into practice. And yet, notice here that in the order of arranging the apostles first and then speaking of prophets, he's, he's speaking of two offices that were, at the time of his writing, they were uh, a, a, uh, offices that were in ministry within the church. You can read the New Testament, and you can read of the ministry of the apostles. But you can also read about the ministry of prophets in the New Testament. That was something that was going on. Apostles were those who had an authoritative calling as those who had seen the risen Christ to go forth as his ambassadors and to speak on his behalf. A prophet was someone who may not have seen the risen Christ, but yet still had a calling to speak on behalf of God to God's people when that speaking was on the basis of what we call covenant administration. The prophets of the Old Testament, I don't want to scare anybody, prophets of the Old Testament were technically lawyers. They were the lawyers who represented the terms of the covenant on behalf of God to God's people. And so they were those who were called to speak on the basis of the terms of the covenant, speak from God to God's people to remind them of the promises of the covenant 
and to remind them of the requirements of the covenant and to warn them if they were not living according to the covenant. And that, that office is still present even in the New Testament. But as the church grew and as it matured, these apostles started dying off. And the ministry of speaking came to reside in the, in the pastor-shepherds, in the elders, in the evangelists. And that recognition we see in the book of Acts, the recognition that these men are called to be these ambassadors is a recognition that comes from the congregation. And so what you are to ask yourself as we meet later uh, here in a few minutes for this time of election, you ask yourself on the basis of these men who have been put before you, whom you nominated, whom we trained, has God been ministering to through them to this congregation? Do you believe that God is speaking through them to this congregation? And if that's where you you see God acting, then that's what you do. You confirm what you think God is doing. This is not about popularity. This is not about gifting. This is not about author- about uh, if someone has uh, good business sense and if they're good at business, maybe they'll be good at leading the church too. This is about who is opening themselves up the presence of Christ, who are cultivating within themselves the hope of Christ, who are working within themselves that peace of Christ, which is leading them to be a blessing to the congregation as they encourage you to embrace the presence of Christ in your life, to live in the hope of Christ in your life, to become an active participant in the ministry of the peacemaking Christ in and through this church. Because, beloved, this church is founded upon and it is growing on the basis of the ongoing ministry of Christ speaking to you through the mouths of those you elect. Our Heavenly Father, the privilege of being your people in and of itself is indescribable. We were lost. We were without hope. We were drowning in sin and darkness and death. And yet you have called us to yourself. You have brought us out of darkness and into light. You have brought us out of rebellion and into your peace. You have brought us as those who were, who were separated from you and were far off, and you have drawn us near, and you have taken up residence within us. Lord, all of this, it's indescribable. And yet you even go further. And you not only make us the object of your ministry, but you give us the privilege of being agents and means of your ongoing ministry within this church. 
So, Lord, humble us under the amazing privileges of the gospel. Instruct us as you continue to speak through your word that is living and active and is dividing soul and spirit. Lord, give us the wisdom to follow what you are doing, that we may confirm in the privilege that is ours, those leaders that you are calling to us, even as you call them through us, as you continue to speak, not only through the leaders, but yes, even through the congregation. So bless us, Lord, as we as your people who have been the, the recipients of your, of your grace and of your peace, may we manifest that, your glory within this body, that worship, discipleship, and mission would continue as we move forward as those not only called into your household, those who were used by you to accomplish these eternal means of uniting heaven and earth once again through the headship of Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.